Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. Certainly focusing on the future means that you shouldn't ever be in a difficult situation because as long as you're in the future, that's, you know, that's where everything's moving and that's where the money's flowing. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Mark Preston. Mark's the founder and chief strategy officer of Street Drone, a leading developer of last mile logistics vehicles. After a career in Formula One in teams such as McLaren and Arras Grand Prix, Mark moved into Formula E and was a founding team principal in the Formula E series, which started in 2014 and showcases the latest technology in electric vehicles. Street Drone is a culmination of a strategy focused on how megatrends come together to create a new vision for future mobility, connected, autonomous and electric. Mark joins us today to share his insight as a leader and human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Mark. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Amy. Good to join you today as well. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. So can you just first of all, can you tell us a little bit about your organisation and the big problems that you're solving currently, please? Yeah, sure. So our organization is Streetrone. We're a first mile autonomous logistics company and we're solving the problem of um, efficiency, lack of drivers out there to drive trucks. Mm -hmm. So we do the first mile logistics up at a place called um, Nissan in Sunderland or it's Nissan in Sunderland. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's uh, one of our first projects up there where we um, have autonomous trucks that travel between two parts of the uh, Nissan and uh, factory. And that's for moving goods um, around uh, in that site. Amazing. Amazing. And that organization's about six years old now? Six and a half? Yes. Yeah, it started about 2017 and been through COVID and all of those aspects. And out the other side. And so as a leader of that kind of organization at that stage in its life cycle, what kind of challenges are you up against at the moment? I mean, mostly for us at the moment, it's um, raising money <laughs> because yeah. uh, as the leader, you know, of yeah. a startup, usually it's either you're involved in a lot of sales. So um, mm-hmm. sales process is obviously, a, um, well, not obviously, but in, it's a complex sale um, mm-hmm. in what we're doing, um, selling autonomous systems into uh, organizations. And um, we're always raising money because, you know, we're, we're currently doing our Series A rounds and, and uh-huh. previous to that, we're obviously doing a... Uh, a seed round and and so it's a it's a constant process for anybody in in my position yeah absolutely absolutely and and, and your journey into leadership then so your background is mechanical engineering correct uh, and then developed from there but in terms of your journey into leadership was it always the plan that you were going to run your own business or run your own enterprise um yeah i mean i started in australia 25 30 years ago um as a mechanical engineer i worked for companies like gm it's uh-huh. called holden in australia um i was looking at starting my own racing organization over there but uh soon realized that i need to come i needed to come over to formula one in the uk to okay. learn more i didn't i didn't uh-huh. know enough um i think probably because the market in australia was too small in comparison to being in what is the uh, i suppose the motorsports cluster here in the uk so this is the place that motorsport happens in the world formula one and and all the other aspects so that's certainly a learning experience as well for anybody who's in any industry that says you know where where should you go if you're into a you know a certain field um it's it's very interesting to go to the place where that's the center of the universe let's say and that's definitely in the sort of oxfordshire what they call motorsport valley 
Um, so I came over to to do that. Um, I worked as an engineer for a number of years, um, and then decided I wanted to get involved in the whole startup scene. And did my MBA at Oxford. Um, mm-hmm. I was an engineer. I went, and and I was probably probably one of the more interested people on the MBA course because some of my colleagues that were lawyers and, and accountants and other things would come to me and say, "What did you learn today?" And I say, "Why are you asking me?" They say, "Well, you're the engineer. You've never done." kind of legal, finance, those okay. aspects. And so I was kind of fascinated by that. And the next thing I wanted to do was start a Formula One team, which I did do, um, with a guy called Aguri Suzuki and Honda. So that was my first foray into a kind of a very big startup. Uh-huh. Um, although it be from the, the technical side, I was um, technical director and, and basically CTO um, but again, I sat on the board and that's got to get me more involved in the business side of things. Yeah. And I suppose maybe a little bit arrogantly, I, I felt like I could do the engineering side, but the challenge was now, um, how do you make the, the business side successful? Okay. So quite an organic process then. It's not that you were sort of always destined for that leadership position. It's just you found something you were really passionate about and clearly highly skilled in. Yeah, I mean, I did my executive MBA so at Oxford um, here, uh, so mm-hmm. business school, and I think I wouldn't have been ready to do the executive MBA if I'd been younger. I needed to okay. kind of go through the, you know, the process of being an engineer, learning how all that process worked, and uh-huh. then, and then do the MBA, uh, which when I was about thirty-six. So, I think for me that was the perfect time, and then I was able to apply a lot of those learnings to kind of a combination of how I understood motorsport worked, how I understood engineering worked, and how I could see how the more, I suppose, macro story mm. worked with um, with the business side of things. Yeah, it's funny how it all sort of comes together at the same time, doesn't it? At a certain point in your career, it all starts coming together. It's interesting, really interesting. And so a question that I love asking, people genuinely don't like answering it. However, if there was going to be a blooper reel of your leadership <laughs> career what would be on the blooper reel? Are there any sort of, oh, I can't believe I did that moments that you can well, share? Um, <laughs> the sort of the more famous thing I was involved in was the, um, it's what's uh, called the McLaren MP418A. So it was the only car, racing car, that never raced for McLaren. And that was actually one of the reasons I went off to do my MBA was to look at sort of trying to understand management side of things, risk, risk profiles, all of the things that mm-hmm. we'd done, innovation, at McLaren, so you can you can look that up. So you can look it up and see that the McLaren never raced, and uh, and I was um quite involved in that in that car with another famous person, Adrian Newey, who um, is currently the, the one of the senior technical people at um, Red Bull. So quite a famous person, um, and that was probably one of the more uh, let's say famous uh, things where I we learned a lot, and you know you can take home a lot of lessons for it. I was able to apply those lessons when I started the the next yeah. Formula One team with Aguri, where we we took some of the learning experiences from the... I mean, at the time, McLaren was quite a long way behind Ferrari, and um, the organisation wanted to take more risk and okay. see how far they could push it. it. Interestingly, I think we pushed too far. There was okay. too much innovation, and there wasn't enough um, celebrating small wins and, and trying to um to to eke out uh, steps so it was not incremental gains it was real disruptive change okay and so finding that balance i think is is still something that's really important and obviously something that a lot of people grapple with all the time you know how much risk to take 
Um, so that was a pretty big, um, interesting experience. And I was able to sit on my MBA and, and look at, you know, analyze things in lots of different ways as to how um, things had happened in, in, in that experience. Yeah, that must have been a fascinating case study to have going into your MBA to be able to reflect and dissect and I think my, my lecturers did enjoy it because I was the every <laughs> single assignment I did, you could imagine it was motorsport. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd do something in accounting, it'd be motorsports. If it was something to do with um, organizational behavior, it was motorsport. So um, every single thing I was trying to understand, how could I apply some of the, the thought processes from an MBA to yes. motorsport and see if I could make gains basically in, in that area. Fascinating. But I think that's, I've just completed an exec MBA myself. Mm. And I think it is really powerful to be able to do that and have the context to apply. I think yes. if had I, not that I was in the place to do it straight after my first degree, but yeah. had I done it straight after my first degree, I don't think personally, I don't think I would have taken nearly as much from it for the same reason you've just, you've just 100%. described. 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah agreed. Fantastic. And so in terms of leadership then, you've said that you've learned a lot and you've reflected, but in terms of a, a strong leader, do you feel that there are specific characteristics that are required to be a, a successful leader? Is it very much case by case or anything stand um, out? I think um, encouraging uh, people that work for you, that's that's really one of the key aspects. Um, delegation uh, to, mm -hmm. to other people, but also being supportive and protective of those people and, and making sure that they um, have all, everything they need um, to deliver. Um, also making sure that, you know, there's not a blame culture that, that yes. certainly you know, pops up in, in all sorts of organizations. So I, I do like some of the, you know, some of the things from um, Silicon Valley, the kind of fail fast, fail fast, fail often. Mm -hmm. um, but also some things you can take from the sports concept about incremental gains. So always trying to make small gains, you know, um, I did a presentation at um, a university a little while back and someone said, but we've got no resources. We're not the same as Formula One. And I said, well, in Formula One, you still spend all the money you have. And so you feel like you don't have all the resources. And we talked about, can you um, leverage your um, relationships with your suppliers and other things in order to deliver more value um, based on working smarter with, with the people around you. Um, mm -hmm. So certainly, um, um, not being afraid to ask dumb questions, you know, all, all the kind of classic things where people stay in their shells and maybe don't ask questions. And, and then you suddenly realize, oh, that thing's not, you know, moving forward as quickly as I thought because I wasn't giving them enough support, maybe letting them have enough flexibility or um, freedoms, but also at the same time supporting things if they fail um, and, you know, quickly coming around and, and solving those problems. Mm -hmm. It's important. I think it goes back to, what you just said about um, not having that blame culture and failing failing fast, you're all in it together. Everyone yes. needs to move forward, keep pushing forward. And, yes. and in terms of your approach to leadership then, does that come from a specific place? Can you put a finger on a time where you sort of started shaping your leadership style? Was there sort of a piece of advice or an experience that has influenced mm, you? That's a good question. When did I, did I start doing that in specifically? I mean, I think... Having gone through, so when I came to the UK, I worked for Arrows Grand Prix for mm -hmm. about six years and um, until that, that team sadly um, stopped. Um, then I went to McLaren and, and obviously had this big experience of a, of a car that, that didn't race. And I think probably at that point, I started to look at, you know, what things uh, were successful and not successful. And that 
the MBA helped me to, as an engineer, to sort of, you know, be a bit more scientific about it, I suppose, um, and put a few theories behind um, why things um, had happened and why things were successful and why things weren't successful, and then to try and um, apply those uh, as time went on. Um, I have been experimenting, actually, with um, the concept I'm calling the Motorsports MBA, where I've actually presented uh, to a few classes, actually, at Oxford and, and Oxford Brooks, and, and a few other places about taking ideas from the NBA and putting stories behind them from uh, motorsports, where it's, you know, there's a bit more colour to each, each yeah. story because it's a, a real-world example. But definitely um, when I then went and started the next thing, which was the Formula One team um, with Aguri Suzuki and Honda, that was really, really the big start of it because at that point I had to also start to learn a bit more about cross-cultural um, aspects. Mm-hmm. So with the uh, working with Honda was amazing. Um, but yeah. learning that you know the Imagine. Japanese um, culture, um, look working internationally and those kind of things, um, and also just simply coming from Australia to the UK, it's not really that different because obviously we speak English and and, uh-huh. and that's a that's an unfair advantage, of course. But just how things are, just traveling the world and, and moving away from family and going to another country and and all of those things. I'm glad that I've done the experiences that I have um, over the years. So certainly changing country does more than you would expect. And then, yes. um, as I say, um, after the after the experience at McLaren and doing my MBA and then getting to apply all of that in a big startup with Honda and everything was a really, really great experience. Yeah, that's a, so many different lenses that you're now able to apply. Yes. To to the organisation it's fantastic and and so in terms of advice that you would offer to someone so if there was someone looking to follow in your footsteps or someone about mm. to take a step up into that leadership role are there any sort of if I knew then what I know now moments that you'd be happy to share that might help yeah I mean little things that um when I went on the to the MBA again I'll keep I'll keep linking back to that actually mm-hmm. I didn't know the Harvard Business Review existed <laughs> so I'm from <laughs> an engineering background and yeah. I started to kind of get into this whole world of all this stuff that I'd never seen. So um, I don't think in my engineering degree we did at the time, we did it that much cross. Um, uh, we didn't move into the, you know, the accounting department or anything like that. We didn't do the, um, I'm trying to think what the word is now, but um, I didn't work with other faculties. That's the right. Uh-huh. Um, and so we didn't get the experience that maybe students get now, but certainly on the MBA, I started to read more and, mm-hmm. but reading it, in a different way. Like I started to read a lot of the business books. Yeah. You can obviously find, you know, the famous ones that um, from the New York uh, Times bestsellers list and all that kind of stuff, the business ones that are often in the, in the airports, aren't they? In yes. the, um, in yep. the business yep. section, in the non, the nonfiction section, I certainly started to read a lot of those good to great. And I'm just trying to think of some of the other titles that I read that started to talk about, um, you know, leadership and growing big companies and, and those kind of things. So, um, then, you know, nowadays YouTube's great. You know, you can learn about anything, can't you? So yeah. um, you, if you don't necessarily have to be able to afford to do a course, you know, um, Udemy and um, Coursera and those kind of things, there's some really cheap courses that you can do to just even get a foothold in, a, in an mm-hmm. area where you think might be interesting. And then that usually takes you down a rabbit hole. You know, you start finding books to read and blogs to read and, and you know, often I'm when you're reading a book, um, you uh, come across a, a website you've never heard of and you suddenly go down another rabbit hole. So something I've been listening to at the moment is Jobs to be Done, which is okay. a concept by Clay Christensen. Um, and that's – so I read their book. Then I found some 
blogs and found some podcasts and started to, you know, go down a rabbit hole and, and start to learn more and more. And I'm a big fan of just continuously learning. And over mm-hmm. um, over the COVID period, when we're obviously in, in lockdown, I certainly read a lot of books. I had deliveries every couple of days from Amazon. Yeah. Um, and then every time I learned about something, I would follow it on with, let's watch a whole bunch of YouTube videos. Let's see what else we can find by reading blogs and stuff. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I'm trying to t- teach myself how to make pizza properly. So okay. uh, <laughs> I'm watching lots of YouTube videos. <laughs> Actually, where did that come from? Is that just a, a genuine desire to learn how to do pizza? Or is that the thing that I find often that you need something else? Don't you? If, you, if you're buried in the business books and you're in the business and you're reading and developing the business, quite often you need something to, I call it making your brain melt. Is that yeah, a conscious like, decision? Yeah, I think I, I like technical things as well. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I follow down technical things. So I, I watched this um, pizza video and they had a you know a temperature gun and they had a, a such <laughs> and such and uh, I'm like oh this is quite technical let me go and read all these things and so of course I make it way too technical for <laughs> <laughs> like my wife is much more of obviously uh, not obviously but she's a natural cook whereas I'm like the one who has to do it a bit scientifically and okay. and you know really really get, get into the details but it was just one of those ones that I uh, uh, I just started to get interested in yeah so how do you make the perfect pizza well, I'm just currently doing something. Uh, there's a guy called Chris Bianco who supposedly is on. Uh, also, I saw it on Netflix. It's on the chef's table, I think it was. Okay. <laughs> so I've been going down this route that he supposedly makes the best pizza in in um, in the US and uh, learning about tomatoes and <laughs> you know all that kind of stuff. So we also got one of those little you know gas-fired pizza ovens as well, which is um, seems to be one of the secrets to it as well. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I will keep an eye out. I'll keep an eye out for that. And in, in terms of, so you mentioned uh, the Jim Collins and Good to Great. Are there sort of leaders or influencers that have really shaped your your style or helped you in the past in terms of what you've read or consumed or even the YouTube videos? Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the um, incremental gains from the from the Le Mans, uh, not, sorry, not Le Mans, <laughs> Tour de France. What am I saying, yeah. Le Mans? Tour yeah. de France. Um, and um, looking at that and certainly started to apply that. I mean, I, I'm quite interested in the disruptive innovation. Um, uh-huh. but over, over time, I'm starting to question whether or not sometimes disruptive is always the best way. I think sometimes you do need a bit of disruptive innovation um, to really change the game. But often it's also the incremental, uh, mm-hmm. incremental gains that, um, that can be made. So I certainly um, find that um, concept one of the most interesting ones um, that I seem to focus on at the moment. I'm just trying to think what other books that I've read recently. I haven't got them nearby, but um, I'd have to have a look at a list to see yeah. uh, some of those aspects. But um, yeah, that's that's certainly one I think. And see, is that Grit behind you? I think I, I did like the book Grit. That was quite good. So um, yeah, there's there's quite a lot of good books um, in in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm always really interested in what people are reading and consuming. So I think um, the same continuous learning, it's, it's the way forward. But in terms of leaders themselves, is there anyone particularly that's influenced your past or present, famous or otherwise? Does anybody particularly stand out? I mean, I'm I'm certainly impressed. Of course, coming from motorsports, I, I look at some of the more famous figures in, in motorsports. Um, Ron Dennis, who was the, the, uh, the boss of McLaren, where I was, um, I still use some of his some of his uh, sayings, um, the, the way he went about winning, approaching winning. So um, he, he said when he came into motorsports, it was all a black art, and um, he couldn't he couldn't you know 
have that. And um, he made he looked into making winning a science, and and I do think that is um, one of McLaren's um, uh, successful areas. So that's something that I really uh, think about. Um, Tom Walkinshaw was the was uh, the the leader of uh, TWR, Tom Walkinshaw Racing and Arrows, who I, I I worked for them in Australia, and then I came over to the UK and worked for them um in the uk so um he's sadly passed away but uh he was a interesting he came at it from more what i call more of an entrepreneurial <laughs> angle uh so when we started um the formula one team super Aguri, i felt like i was able to gel some of the best ideas from the twr arrows uh, side of things tom walkinshaw and, and the ron dennis uh sort of professionalism um aspect um Although I haven't worked for them I, ever before, I, I'm always impressed with Patrick Head, who's a Williams, um, one of the bosses of, of Williams, and um, and uh, Ross Braun, who now or just uh, finished running um, uh, F1. So uh, a lot of a lot of the people from that side of things, um, from the the automotive business, uh, because that's something that we're certainly um, quite involved with. I'm I'm fascinated by Elon Musk's. Um, approach to things like agile hardware and and his approach to obviously um, he uh, he does things differently to a lot of people so he's an interesting person to he follow does. Um, yeah. and, and see how he succeeds and then of course people like bill gates and others who have built you know large organizations fantastic and so in terms of the the first mile delivery the autonomous vehicles that's going to absolutely explode over the next few years in terms of what's on your desk that you can share with us that's coming around the corner in the next six nine twelve months what can you share with us about the business it's funny um if you ask many of the people on that listen to your podcast and maybe ask yourself do you think one of your friends has already got an autonomous car have you have you got an opinion on that um We've found that uh, we, there was a there was a um, survey by I think it was Thatcham uh, Research Institute, and they said 50% of people in the UK believe that autonomous cars are already on the road. Now they're not actually legal on the road yet, so that's well they are if they've got a safety driver uh, in them. Um, I think there's a fairly big realization at the moment that the that the uh, total um, the the solution is very difficult. And we see that a lot of people are starting to realize that doing autonomous vehicles in controlled situations like what we're doing up at Nissan, um, which they call off-highway, and it's a geofenced location, so it's in a, in a known area. It doesn't have public access, so therefore it's, um, it's only people that are trained to be in that space. That's the area mm -hmm. that we see autonomy being commercialized in the near term. So over okay. the next two years, that's our focus is to commercialize what we're doing up at Nissan into other things like ports, other manufacturing sites, regional distribution centers um, of big retailers, and those aspects where it's off highway um, and it's in a very controlled situation and it, it actually in a, uh, yeah, at low speed, about 20 miles an hour. Um, so yeah. that's that's what we see as the, the next stages. When will we have autonomous vehicles on the road doing autonomous taxi drives from anywhere to anywhere? Yeah. that's that's hard to tell mm -hmm. um there's obviously currently vehicles in the u.s that are running in some cities in very very known locations at time of day which um they feel the weather is correct and, and those kind of things so um i think there's been a big realization that that's actually the direction that um it's going and that's certainly what we believe um at street show fantastic fantastic exciting place to be there's going to be lots of changes i'm sure taking place within your industry yeah, I mean, well, the, the big thing is uh, autonomous electric 
connected mm-hmm. and shared. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the focus. And yeah. I've been involved in Formula Electric over the last eight years, and, and um, yeah. that's a, always focusing on the future. Yeah. And that's probably another bit of advice I could say is that, you know, certainly focusing on the future means that you shouldn't ever be um, in, a, in a difficult situation because as long as you're in the future, that's, you know, that's where everything's moving and that's where the money's flowing. Okay. Fantastic. Mark, I really enjoyed speaking with you, so thank you for making the time. It's been interesting learning all about your journey. Thank you, no problem. It.